We're starting a brand new series of sermons today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the parables. And today, I want to read from uh, the first parable, Matthew 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears... Listen, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I've titled this series of sermons, Tell It Slant. That phrase comes from the opening line of a poem by Emily Dickinson, in which she states, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. In this poem, Dickinson explores the concept of truth and the way it should be communicated. She, she suggests that truth can be too overwhelming and what she calls bright for people to grasp directly, especially when it challenges our preconceived notions or beliefs. She likens truth to lightning that can blind if encountered suddenly and directly. Tell all the truth but tell it slant. You know, we just finished a series of sermons on Paul's greatest letter, the letter to the Romans, and it was Paul's and our, our right brain theology, straight, direct, albeit a little wordy at times. <laughs> Jesus could also speak very direct and very plainly and very uh, concretely, but he also loved to tell stories to convey truth. Poetry and metaphor and parable become powerful vehicles to help us see and understand the breadth and the depth of God and his kingdom. Now in this series, uh, 16 weeks, I'm, I'm breaking it into three sections. And the first section we're in now are what we call parables of the kingdom. And then we'll move on to parables of grace. And then we'll conclude with parables of judgment. So today we start by looking at uh, the first parable of the kingdom. Let us pray. We ask humbly, Lord, that you would startle us with your truth. Help us to marvel at your word and be receptive and open to hear the words of your Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. This, this story is your story, and, and thus it is you who should speak it. Amen. Now, if you came, if and when you come to visit the Beard Home, you will see this picture that hangs on our wall. This is Vincent van Gogh's uh, take on the parable of the sower. Sadly, we do not own the original. We only have a print. But I love this picture. I absolutely love it. It is, it is one of my all-time favorites. Not only the brilliant color and, I mean, br brilliant art, but the, the idea of the sower 
um, with his bag full of seeds, and he's getting ready to throw it on the ground. Jesus, in this parable, talks about God the Father throwing seeds generously, liberally, even recklessly, all in the hopes that we might hear his word. The seed is the word of God. And that it will take root and it'll grow in our lives and in our churches and in our world. The parable of the sower is the right place for us to start. I've called this the, the watershed of the parables. It is in many ways the parable that's kind of a door that opens up all of the rest of the parables to us. Jesus ends this parable by saying, let anyone who has ears listen and hear. And we're going to need that advice. We're going to need that charge as we go through each and every one of them. It also has a place of promise for this parable is found in, in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as we call it, um, and usually first. It's like the, the, the early writers, the disciples said, you know, this one, this one has some weight. This one has priority. We need to begin with this one. This is the place that we start with so that our hearers can understand the story and begin to understand the stories that will be coming. Let's place ourselves kind of a, a mental picture. Picture the scene in your mind. Jesus is teaching from a boat on the shore of the Lake of Galilee. And he looks out and he sees off in the distance in a field a, a farmer. And he's throwing seeds into his field. <clears throat> and those gathered around turn and they look and they see this picture. And there's a breeze blowing. And the farmer is wanting his field to grow. He's prepared it. He throws seed onto the ground. As they watch the farmer work, Jesus uses this scene to teach a lesson about his kingdom. The sower gets a handful of seed. He throws it. Throws it all around. And as he did, some seed would naturally fall on ground that was not suitable, along with other seed that fell onto the good prepared soil. Now, fields in biblical times were different, a little bit different, not like our fields of today, which have been prepared by modern machinery with the crops planted in neat rows. In those days, a farmer would need to scatter the seed all over, um, and then they would plow over it, over the top of it. The fields were in long strips with paths between them so people could walk and pass through, which was important in that society. That was the way of, only way of travel for people to walk. Sometimes the Romans would have just plowed right through and built roads right along or right through someone's field, a farmer's field. Maybe next to the farmer's field there was some wild and, and it was allowed to grow wild and it was full of thorns and weeds. So it, in a way it was almost impossible not to have some of the seed fall into places that you didn't intend it to fall. Maybe it was blown by the wind into those areas. And that was the backdrop, and everyone was watching this. And Jesus told this story. A farmer, he said, planted seed, and he scattered it. Some of it fell on the road, and the birds ate it. Some of it fell on gravel, and it sprouted out quickly, but it didn't put down roots, so when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds, and as it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. But some of the seeds, some of the seeds fell on good earth. 
And it produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. And that's when Jesus says, are you really listening to this? Are you really listening? How do we interpret this parable? All parables beg for interpretation. And all of them have their challenges to interpret them. That's going to be our challenge as we go along. Are we really listening? Are our minds open? Are we ready to hear the word that God has for us to hear? How do we interpret this parable? On one level, it's pretty simple. In fact, Jesus in later verses gives his interpretation, which is rare and unique. Certainly, what we can say about this parable is it's about soil. And the first thing we can say about this parable, it's about soil. And the question, are you listening, is your the soil of your heart, you, are, is it ready? Is it open? Has it been nurtured, ready to receive the word of God? Because it's meant to take hold in your life. It's meant to produce a, a, a fruit. It's meant to grow. And it's a fair question to ask ourselves, how is the soil of your heart? Is it rocky? Is it hard? Is it bitter? Are there too many weeds growing up around it, ready to choke off the word that comes to you? Sometimes as a pastor, I'll meet with people who are struggling in their life and <clears throat> with many, many challenges. And, you know, we'll get to some of the heart of what's going on. And sometimes folks will say, I just can't. I can't forgive that person no matter what. Not after what he did. Not after what she said. I can't. That's it. I can't do it. Or maybe I, I have a hard time believing all of the Bible. I mean, come on. It seems so out of touch. I mean, aren't we living in a modern scientific age? I have a hard time really believing and receiving all of that. Or, you know, I was hurt by the church growing up. I can't trust. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of doubt. We know about thorns. We know about rocky soil. We know about hard soil. We know about weeds and bitter roots. Sometimes in that situation, I will um, give a prescription. You know, if you go and see a doctor and you describe your pains and your aches and your challenges, they'll write a prescription. They'll actually, they'll, they'll write it out and you can't read it. It's ineligible, but they write it out and they'll hand it to you. And I have on occasion done something similar. I've said, well, I hear you talking about these aches and these pains and these hurts. How about if I give you a prescription? Would you try this? And what I say is, how about you take two, three hours, not a lot of time, find a comfy chair, find a good one, make sure nobody's around, and just open up the Gospel of Mark. It could be any Gospel, but open the Gospel of Mark and read it in one sitting. And don't just read it, but pray before you read it and just say, Lord, help me be open. Let me be receptive and listen to what it's saying. Let's try that. Would you try that? I think that might do something. Have you done that? It's a wonderful thing to do. It's a magical thing. The, the spirit works in wonderful ways when we're receptive and when we're ready and when we're open. 
But Jesus is not just describing the different types of soil or circumstances of life. He's also describing the inner geography of our hearts. There are various landscapes in the human heart. We've all met these situations in other people. But have we discovered and looked honestly at our own heart? We're rarely just one type of soil. Oftentimes we have all four. The four soils are descriptive of how we live and how we relate to others and to God. Every person is, is given an opportunity to respond, but maybe I need to be open all the time. Maybe there are some weeds growing that I'm not aware of. Maybe over the last season I've become a little more bitter. Maybe I need to trust the, the work and the word spoken and brought to me in the word and ask that some of that soil be cultivated and be ready and be open and be receptive. This needs to happen continually in my life and your life. That's why Bible study is so important and listening is so critical and prayer is so vital. This is our life. It's the rhythm of our life because we want the word that is sown by the farmer to take root and to take hold. And weeds can be nasty and difficult to get rid of. It needs a lot of cultivation. It takes ongoing care to make this happen. But there's a wonderful promise we find in Scripture. In 2 Peter, Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I love that. He's going to be patient with you and me. He wants us to have good soil. He's going to be patient. He's going to work with us to receive it. This parable is certainly about the soil. It's certainly about being open and respect, ready to receive God's word and hear it new and fresh every morning. His mercies are new every morning. How is the soil right now in your heart? But it's more than this. This parable, there's more here. Not only is it about the soil of our lives, but it's also telling us about the character of the sower. Again, this parable is about God's kingdom, and it's teaching us about the characteristics of the one who sows, the king. God is the sower. And what do we see here in this parable? Is he not generous? That seed is being thrown everywhere. He throws it everywhere, and he doesn't seem to care too much that it's falling in places where he knows it's not going to grow. There's a generosity here. There's a breadth to how he operates. There's a, a, no farmer in their right mind would farm this way. In Jesus' day or our day, they, they just wouldn't do it. I mean, what kind of a farmer would allow some of his seeds to fall into rocks, into roads? And you're, it, it seems almost wasteful. It's crazy. No, you, you make sure, you make great pains to make sure it only goes into fertilized soil. Otherwise, why do it? But God operates in a different way. He sees things vastly different than we do. He spreads his seed everywhere. He allows it to go to the lengths and the depths to everyone. He wants all to have an opportunity to respond, see the breadth of his love. This kingdom is run by a king who is generous in love and in mercy. It's sown into soil, which is nothing but packed dry earth. It is 
sown into soil that even it even has rocks or weeds in it, thorns. And maybe God even knows that it won't take hold there, but he is generous. It keeps coming. When you have bitter bitterness in your life or stretches, what does he do? Does he say, well, it's not going to grow there. Not with him, not with her, not with those people. Let's move on to fertile soil. No. He's going to keep sowing. It's going to keep coming. Do you hear the, the call here to receive this word that comes? He's so generous. And by the way, this is so voluntary. You know, earthly kingdoms do not operate like this. This is radically different. All earthly kingdoms work by force and coercion to get you into the kingdom. When Alexander the Great was marching through the whole world and conquering, when he came to your town with his armies, you had two choices. They would announce this. You have two choices. Here's what you can do. Um, you can be a part of our kingdom right now, pledge loyalty to it, and obey everything we say, or you can die. What's it going to be? That's how kingdoms work in this world. When Lewis and Clark were moving across and discovering uh, parts of America that had not been seen um, by our government, at least, they, they were marching through. And when they would go, they would go to tribes and they would announce and say, we need you to know that a new kingdom has now arrived and you're a part of that kingdom. They would go to the Mandan tribe and say, guess what? You are now a part of this kingdom. There wasn't any choice. There wasn't any, hey, gather around and decide for yourselves whether you'd like to be a part of the United States. No, it's just, we, we've come, we've conquered. It's the way it works. And by the way, we might think that democracy doesn't work this way, but democracy works this way too, right? I mean, we're ruled by the majority. When the majority are in power, it's you all need to understand you're coming along. That's the way democracy works. It is a sense there's a force there. We might not agree with it, but we are living under rulers that we don't always vote for. And they change laws, and we have to live under that. There's a sense of power and force. Sometimes kingdoms are ushered in with violence and coercion. That is the way of the world. And it was certainly the way in Jesus' time. They knew all about this. The Romans had come, given their power and their violence, and it was awful. New kingdom has arrived. But Jesus says, my kingdom, works like this. A farmer throws seeds, scatters it in hopes that it'll land on good soil and that it will grow and that something marvelous will arrive and arise. That's the way his kingdom works. It's not by force. It's not by coercion. It is not by violence. In fact, it's voluntary. He says to you and me, would you be ready? Would you come follow me? Would you like to be a part of this kingdom? I'm, I'm building this kingdom. It's, it's all around us. And it's for those who are ready and those who want. And those who are ready to have their lives changed and transformed. We get used to loud, noisy kingdoms in our world. They're intimidating. They have large number of followers. They appear to have the weight of influence. They don't. 
They rise and fall. Leaders come and go. Earthly power always diminishes. But God's kingdom, this voluntary kingdom, cannot be moved. Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, Jesus said. And in this kingdom, Jesus reigns forever and ever. The sower invites. The sower says, I'm here. I have a new kingdom that's starting. Come follow me. We discover in this parable a God who is generous and forgiving and loving and patient and kind. Who has died so that you and I would follow him and be a part of and give allegiance to him. But he will not force it. He will not push it on us. We learn great things about our God, the sower. But this parable is also more. It's about the soil. It's about the sower. But it's also about the seed. The seeds. Think about it. Jesus is comparing his kingdom to a tiny, tiny seed. The word is a tiny, small thing. They're difficult to see, especially when they're placed underground. They disappear. They're covered over with earth. When we look at Jesus' earthly ministry, we, we, we see that he comes to everyone, but he's despised. I mean, in the whole Roman Empire, the word incarnate, the word made flesh came, and no one really noticed in the Roman Empire. It was just one man. He's not preaching some different things, but in the scheme of things, that was a small, tiny, tiny seed. But look what happened. That seed has spread and grown. It's pushed aside powers. It will rule for eternity. But on the surface, it looks small, and we may discount it. We may be tempted to be impressed by or give allegiance to some of the big movers and shakers of our world. But God says, no, I'm going to actually work in a small way with a seed in your life, in this church. This is how I operate. In fact, people may not even notice for long stretches. This growth may take a long time. But the Lord is patient. This tiny seed can grow in your life. And by the way, when we come to communion table, we see this. Jesus, I mean, a seed is actually small and it, it dies and it's buried. But then what happens? It can grow and rise again and do something marvelous. Amazing things can happen to a life when we're receptive when we embrace the sower and when we allow the patience for us, something small, a word proclaimed, to grow in our lives. Maybe you've heard before of the woman. She was actually a member of a sister church of ours, University Presbyterian in Seattle. And her, her name was, a, her, was, was appro she had an appropriate name. Her name was Grace. And she met Christ on a Christmas Eve at a Salvation Army Hall while her motorcycle gang leader lover was robbing a bank and killing a guard. <laughs> she tells you a little bit about Grace. After that night, she became notorious in Seattle. Not as a gang member, but as a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. She had a black belt in karate, so Grace was able to venture into parts of the city that other people didn't dare to go to. 
And she carried a note in her purse everywhere she went. And in the note read, it said this, Dear Purse Snatcher, I'm sorry that life has brought you to the point that you must steal for your habit. Help yourself to my money. But I wish you'd return my purse and driver's license. It's such a bother to replace them. But beyond giving you my money, which will help you not only for will, will only help you for a few moments, I'd like to give you something else. I'd like to give you my Lord who can help you for eternity. Here's my phone number. I'm usually home after 11 p.m. Grace had a lot of phone calls. She led dozens of purse snatchers to Christ. She was so notorious that once after her purse was stolen, the thief sneaked back up to her, shamefaced, returned the purse and said, I'm so, so sorry, I didn't realize whose purse I was snatching. <laughs> and then she went on to develop a ministry to prostitutes in the inner city of Seattle. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know someone in your life who has a lot of weeds or thorns in their life? Raise your hand if you know someone who's difficult. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who sometimes <laughs> is difficult or hard. What do we do? How do we respond? For those who have ears to listen, like Grace, maybe we could change our mindset and say, this sower is so generous. Even though this person that I love is hard and difficult or this enemy that I can't stand is difficult. I wonder if God hasn't been sowing seeds in their life. Would that not change how we act? Would then our opportunity be maybe I can help garden. Pray for, encourage, hope for, be patient with. So that that seed that was planted by the generous sower, that thing that they may not even know or understand or recognize, all in the hopes that that might grow. This is the way God's kingdom works. And by the way, when a community, a church, embraces this slow, patient process of listening and loving and watering and caring and nurturing. You can do great things. You can do great things in your life and in the life of the world around you. All from a tiny seed. We gather at this table this morning and we're reminded of God's forgiveness and grace. This table is for all who trust in Jesus Christ. All who confess their sins were invited to come to this 